What are you guys doing? The Landscapes and Pancakes Podcast. Wow. There are a bajillion aspects to the green industry. All right. I just want this podcast to be real. <laughs> Interesting. It's not always fun. What? But I think people go through this. I know. None of it makes sense. Seriously. We are the ones designing and we are the ones building. We respect each other. Respect. Is there anybody, aside from me, that you've ever just kind of given a hug to and you just feel awesome afterwards? Like their energy is so amazing that the hugging is just like the best thing ever. This is a, is this a loaded question. This is not a loaded question. <laughs> I just really wonder that. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Of course. Like, yeah. Yeah. Who was she? <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of put, kidding. really no. put me on the spot. No. So listen, so I went up, you know, I went up a couple of weeks ago to the Ron Burton training village yes. to talk to Paul Burton about mm-hmm. what our next um, landscape project might be over there. Mm-hmm. It was just a funny story that I wanted to tell you because, so I drove up, it's about, I don't know, what is it, an hour and a half yeah, drive? Yeah, good, a bit yeah, of a drive. hour and a half, yep. And so I get to a point and I see him waiting um, and he's just kind of standing there and I get out of the car and I just looked at him and I was like, Paul, I really want to hug you because he has such amazing energy. He's just a great hugger. And you know, I love hugs. Yeah, you're a hugger. And so, you know, this is all COVID timing, right? And so it was, it was really kind of funny because I swear <laughs> to God, we both kind of looked behind each other to see if anybody was looking. And then he was like, come on, come on, come on over. And I just gave him a big <laughs> giant bear hug and it was Awesome. Nice. I can picture that completely. <laughs> and the energy was amazing. <laughs> it's awesome. And so we are so happy today to be talking to Paul Burton from the Ron Training from the Ron Burton Training Village. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, so I, we wanted to. I mean, we had Paul in mind to do this, and we talked to him about it. But we were waiting for COVID to, <laughs> well, whatever we thought was going to happen with this subside, so we could actually do it in studio. Um, or at the village. Yeah, closer to the village when we do what we call Home Depot Day, which is, you know, I think last year was like 500 volunteers on one day building a garden before lunch, mind you, <laughs> which I didn't realize until I experienced this. Like by lunch, they're done. It's incredible the amount of people there working towards one common goal. But with what happened with George Floyd, we thought, you know, this has to be as much as we can make it relevant with what's happening now. So how do we make landscapes and landscapes design relevant with what's going on now? Well, listen to Paul and you'll know how. So Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. I know how completely insane your schedule and your life is right now. So for everybody out there, we have the pleasure of talking with Paul Burton today, who is the vice president of the Ron Burton Training Village. And we had wanted to have you on the podcast anyways. We had mentioned this to you, I think, a few weeks ago, because we really wanted to talk to you anyway about what you do at the village and kind of how landscape spaces kind of play into that. Um, So we were going to have you anyway. And then all this, the world just turned upside down between COVID and what just happened in Minneapolis. And we just kind of thought now might be a better time to talk to you. So thank you so much. Um, so we have a lot of questions for you, but in a nutshell, for anybody who doesn't know about the Ron Burton training village, can you give me your 30 second, (laughs) 
<laughs> if possible, <laughs> description of what the village is. And we're going to go deeper into it. And I definitely want to talk about your dad. But I just, as for people who don't know and are just starting to kind of listen, I just want them to know who you are and kind of what, what the village does. Yeah, so the Ron Burton Training Village is a nonprofit. And our mission is to enrich the lives of challenged youth in the areas of dynamic leadership and character development, educational and social advancement, physical fitness, and spiritual growth. Our mission is to help young people make the winning decisions in life. We are, our focus is to help develop the whole child so that child understands its, his or her purpose and to work hard and to be focused and to have a, a great sense of faith and, and, and understanding that life is not easy, it's full of challenges, and you gotta just continue to, to work hard and believe that one day you will fulfill your purpose. Awesome. I think you've probably said that more than once in your life. (laughs) (laughs) So if I said to you, Paul, what is significant about the hour of 4.30 in the morning? What would you say to me? That's the morning we all get up at RBTV. (laughs) The kids wake up at 4.30 in the morning before the sun is out, and we begin our journey, if you will, of running seven miles a day, five days a week with the kids that are a part of what is known as the purpose journey at the Ron Burton Training Village. And the reason why 4.30 is, you know what, in in life, you got to get up early. If you want to achieve things, if you want to really accomplish things, you got to work hard and you got to get up early. And it's also when you're running seven miles, it's nice to get out a little early before that sun is beating down on you in the summertime. But uh, 4.30 is it's tough. It's not easy, but the, the kids are learning that if you want things to happen in life, you got to go out there and make them happen. And that kind of ties into your dad's story, right? So your dad, Ron Burton Sr., started this whole journey, if you will. And I was reading on the website the description of how when he was first coming into athletics, how he was not exactly the model athlete in any way. And one of the coaches that kind of saw him struggling a little bit had said to him, listen, if you really want this, you need to get up, you need to run. I think he said specifically seven miles um, and you need to go for it. So talk a little bit about your dad. Let's, let's learn about your dad's story. I know he grew up in Springfield, Ohio, and he was raised by his grandmother. Can you kind of start us on that, the very beginning of the journey? Yeah. So my dad, Ron Burton Sr., uh, grew up dirt poor in Springfield, Ohio, um, he didn't have much at all, no money. He didn't have a lot of talent. He couldn't run. He couldn't catch. In fact, his nickname growing up was literally called nothing. He was teased, oh. and thrown up, and put down. Mm. He used to cry every single day. Uh, and it was his mother who said, Ron, you cannot cry every time the kids make fun of you because you love the game of football, but you didn't have much talent. And she taught him, Ron, if you really, if you want to stop, you know, if you want to get over this, you better start learning how to win or you're going to have to stop playing the game of football, which you love. My father learned early in life that if you want things to happen, you got to go out there and make them happen. So he um, went out for football. His, um, it was a junior high, and he was the only kid they wouldn't give a football uniform to. Oh, wow. God. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was unbelievable because it doesn't make any sense that you leave one kid out. But, you know, they didn't want him to get hurt. They didn't think he had any talent, so they just left him out. He had to beg his Pop Warner coach to tell the junior high coach, please give me, give me a suit. And they finally did, but he never played a single down of football until the last play of his eighth grade year. Mm. Uh, that they ran a football about 10 yards and got tackled. It was, and 10 yards is not very far, but it happened to be the most important 10 yards of my father's life because uh, high school coaches 
that were surveying the crop of kids that were coming up were at that was at that game. And after the game, after my father got tackled after 10 yards, a high school coach came up to him and says, Ron, you know, you seem to have something that the other kids don't have. I saw you run those 10 yards and get tackled. You know, you're not very fast, <laughs> but you seem to have a lot of determination and a lot of courage. He goes, I'm going to tell you a secret. If you ever want to be great, not just good, but great at the game of football, here's what you should do. You ought to consider waking up at 4 30 in the morning and running seven miles a day. What that coach didn't know is that he was talking to a young kid who was willing to pay any price in the world to stop the kids from calling him nothing. Huh. So that summer, he put on his father's work boots and began training, running seven miles a day. Seven miles a day during the summer, he did that for twelve straight years. Can I ask you a wow. question about that? Do you think? Do you think that was the motivation for him really not to be called those names anymore, as opposed to just the love of the sport? Yeah, it was totally to stop the teasing. He just wanted to fit in somewhere. He wanted to feel that he was worth something. He wanted to stop the bullying, and he knew that going to take a lot of effort but that was his initial goal he wasn't trying to become all american he certainly had no intentions of going to the nfl he just wanted to stop teasing and so and he did that quickly and you know he after that first summer he, he tried out for football his freshman year and he beat all the kids just in a one mile race and like the coach was like who are you <laughs> but i had been training while everyone else was taking the summers off that's awesome so he went from calling nothing to becoming an All-American in high school, uh, winning 47 different scholarship offers to all the major football schools in the country. Wow. He, choosing Northwestern University because of his academics, because the coach Eric Parsegan says, Ron, I know you're being recruited by Ohio State, Oklahoma, all the great schools, but if you come to Northwestern, you will, one, go against the best in college football, but you'll also receive a phenomenal education. And my father, you know, just growing up in his family, he knew that education was always very important. And that's why he chose Northwestern. But, you know, he also grew up in a very sad time uh, because his mother died of breast cancer when he was in high school. Mm. And his father got uh, violently ill in high school. And so he was only now down to his grandmother who did not work. And she was known as this gospel preacher. She used to preach to the homeless and the poor in the streets of Springfield, Ohio, all the time. And uh, she really taught my father a lot of valuable lessons found in the scriptures about love uh, 1 Corinthians 13, about how to love your enemies, Luke chapter 6. And she says, Ron, if you ever want to be great in life, not just the game of football, you got to learn to love your enemies. you got to hmm. learn to love those who call you nothing. Right. And that really helped him develop the core values upon which RBTV was built, the pillars of love, peace, patience, and humility. Uh, that's where that sort of came from. So he went to Northwestern, became an All-American there, and then became the number one draft pick hmm. of the Boston Patriots in 1960. So here's a kid that went from nothing to number one draft pick and played for six years for the Boston Patriots uh, and then went to, after then retired, and then he went to work for John Hancock Insurance. And then in 1985, he sat us down as a family. And he said there were certain people that came into my life just at the right time, whether it be his coach, whether it be his mother, whether it be his grandmother, who taught him how to make the winning decisions in life. And that was time to give everything back. And that's when he built the Ron Burton Training Village to take the poor, the meek, those who are falling through the cracks, sort of the nothings of the world, and teach them how to win through love, peace, patience, and humility. You know, I, I wonder, what, as you're talking, too, I'm just thinking about this adolescent young man going from being called nothing and then transitioning into somewhat of, it sounds like, an athletic star in high school yeah. and then having to go off 
to college in a whole other part of the country, right? That that he's not familiar Chicago, with. Yeah. Did he ever um did he ever talk about that experience, that transition? I mean, how did it feel for him to kind of move through that space? Because that's pretty intense. He, yeah, it was very intense. My father cried a lot growing up. I mean, losing his mom basically decimated his life because right. he didn't have much. He only had his mother, his father, and his grandmother and his brother. And uh, it, it was a tough time. And really, my dad only found great solace and comfort in the church. He, he sang in the choir all the way through college. So my father was known as a square, really, as, truly. As a square. <laughs> <laughs> but he found that he wanted to be in a, in a place where people really cared and loved for one another. And that's where he found his peace. Um, and he going to college really was a big step for him. Because that's where, you know, kind of where you and I kind of fall, fall in. He really found the beauty in outdoor spaces. He yeah. went to Northwestern University and fell in love with the campus. Built on Lake Michigan, mm. he finally was introduced to gardens. Growing up, my father didn't even really have a front yard. He had an outhouse. Right. So when he goes to Northwestern's camp, campus in Evanston, Illinois, he was blown away by the, the architecture, the beautiful gardens set on the campus. And that really made him feel, I'm someone special. I am in a special place and I'm going to run with this opportunity and never look back. And so that sort of really was a, a, a pivot, a change uh, in his mindset about how he felt about himself. Well, I like the two things that you just said when you talked about the fact that the, the church really became his community. So, so immediately the sense, this idea of how important community and people coming together to take care of each other played a pivotal role in him growing up. And then when he went to college, a completely different world, but like understanding how landscapes and being in beautiful spaces, how much that can affect you as well. It's, it's just interesting. These two pivotal moments yeah. in his life all came together to create the Ron Burton Training Village, really, because those yeah. are such it's It's, it's amazing aspects. to see, to hear the story and see what we've seen with you through right. the village because I see his vision. It's amazing. You right. know, you, you talked about him wanting everybody to experience the beauty in these outdoor spaces. Yeah, yeah it really was a big, <laughs> he was borderline obsessed with it. I, I, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so I mean, perhaps that's the, where you get it the from? Vi the vision. Some obsession, Paul? The vision, <laughs> yeah. it, it, seeing, seeing the campus and you, you telling me that it was all once filled with trees and seeing it now is incredible. We're not, you know, to the listeners, we're not talking about a flat, beautifully, you know, groomed organic soil like, you know, uh, pasture. This is rocks and hills and just, I mean, rugged beauty, landscape. rugged beauty. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think part of his struggle, it brings tears to my eyes because I think part of his struggle allowed him, he had to go through his struggle in order for him to create this dream because without the struggle without the heartache without the disappointment without the losing of the loss of his family meaning his mother uh it was he would not be the man he he is he wouldn't have the endurance and the determination to build rbtv god allowed him to go through a lot of heartache mm. so he could one sympathize with those who are bullied today those who are falling through the cracks he allowed him to uh, you know experience what it means to be poor he allowed him to experience beauty. He allowed God allowed him to experience so much in his life so that when it came time to build this vision and everyone told him not to do it, literally <laughs> told him, don't do this, don't throw your money away. He took his entire life savings, wow. uh, built 
bought 305 acres worth of land that was all woods, nothing there, no road, not one building structure up. And he says, no, this is my God-given purpose. I'm going to do this without support from a bank, no loan, nothing. And it was a big, massive risk because he has five kids. None of them are in college. Well, actually, they, some had just begun college at the mm -hmm. time. And he just risked it all because he really firmly believes this place is going to help change the lives of children who need help and guidance and a sense of um, really the four core values, love, peace, patience, and humility. So it took all those things, the suffering, in order to give birth to this unbelievable vision that he knew that this was his, his God-given purpose on earth. And he had such a passion for it. And he had to, because literally, like you said, Neil, there was nothing but woods. And this man, out of nothing, once again, out of nothing, <laughs> created a village because he saw the gardens. He saw what he wanted to build. And everyone, including the family, is like, what are you doing? And well, that, that was my question for you. So what's mom thinking during all this? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you guys were there and too. How, yeah, and how old were you? I was nine at the time we bought the land, 10 when the village first opened in 1985. My mother's like, don't do this because you know, she's worried about her kids. Right. You got bills to pay. Mm -hmm. you no, know, he wasn't a... a, a a extremely wealthy man because mm -hmm. he didn't make a lot of money in the pros back then. He did well at John Hancock and became wealthy then, but mm -hmm. he wasn't your number one draft pick running back today. Right. 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 <laughs> right. He risked it all. Um, and, and, and God richly blessed him to, to make it be prosperous, but it wasn't easy. It was, it was a, it still is a struggle. It's a fight for us. And a lot of people think when they come to the village, Oh, this is nice. Uh, it's nice. You, you know, walked into this. No, literally, <laughs> Every bush, every building, every road, every tree, everything mm -hmm. was a, 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 a constant struggle. Um, and for mom, it was hard. It was hard because she, he, he really dedicated his life to it. And she raised the kids as he struggled to fight to keep this dream alive. Went out, he, just, he did speaking engagements around the world, spoke in Africa, spoke in Mexico, wow. talked about his story to raise money to help afford this place. Right. Wow, that brings so much more meaning to it, Paul. I didn't know all that to 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 know that's that's really what it took. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And, and especially thinking about the fact because I think there's a fairy tale assumption that your mom was right on board because <laughs> she's you know she's at every event that I've been to. You know, she's always there. You can see how incredibly proud she is. Yeah. And I think sometimes you forget that on a very human level as the mom <laughs> kind of being like, well, we have five kids too that Very have real. legitimate real yeah. needs. Yeah. So, um, but, but obviously there was teamwork there. I mean, it, it wouldn't have come to fruition without yeah. her. She, she cleaned the toilets the very first five years of RBTV because we, you know, she did not want my father to fail. Mm -hmm. She did not want him to look bad. Uh, we didn't have the, the, the luxuries that we have today. It was nasty. It was a, we, our first place. We rented a chateau up the top of the hill off campus because there was nothing built. So we actually had to rent a, an abandoned restaurant. Wow. And we have the first group of 30 kids. Nothing was built. So she used to scrub the, the toilets. I mean, how that is as, about as humbling as it gets as a wife. With, with don't do this okay you're going to do it anyway so i'm going to help you and i'm going to get as low as low as we can get and scrub the scrub the toilets with some of her friends who who helped her you know for even though she didn't really want him to do it she prayed for two years to try and find the right location for this place ironically enough if you think about what's going on today with the racism the town of hubberston did not want a city 
They think yeah. we're gonna gonna send a whole bunch of black kids that are gonna pillage, rape, and destroy the town of Austin because <laughs> we're running. And back then, we didn't have the land to even run on campus, so we ran literally through the town of Hubbardston. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Seven miles. So that's like, what is yeah, going on? It, it, it is out there. Anyone that's and not I familiar with it. Mind you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very bold. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Don't do this. They did not want him there, and now they love us there. Because they, you know, it's a beautiful spot. We were shelter sometimes when natural disasters happen. They, nice. They, we give the land, the, the fields to the soccer teams for free. Um, so it, 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 my dad had a way of really just loving everybody and not judging them. And it was really humbling to see the reversal of, of the blessing. It's all transferred to you guys, you and your family, because you feel it when you're there. It's, um, Thank you. It is... I don't know. For us to be a very small part of it, what we've done has been life changing, and and to be around the kids is life changing. And honestly, and and this is going back a couple of years prior to everything that's happening right now, it's just so rewarding to be around them and feel yeah. how grateful these kids are. I mean, I say it all the time with to Samantha, the a twelve year old kid comes up to me when I'm there, doesn't know me. It, he walks up to me and puts his hand out, introduces himself, and shakes my hand. And I'm like, that's what we and need. And looks you in the eye. Like, yeah, to me, a, that's the most, right. most amazing thing. It's like this understanding that I respect you. I'm going to, I respect you, but we are human and we are going to have yep. eye contact. And, 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 and to, to I'm going to introduce myself to you like just normal people should yeah, do. <laughs> but to have the confidence at that age right. to do that is, I think, difficult. I mean, I remember adolescence growing up. I mean, it's confusing time as it is. It really is part of the train. We teach them how to do that because a lot of them, they don't know that. They don't know any better. And the kids that we get, we interview them for quite a while to see if this is really what they want to do because RBTV is not for everybody. It mm -hmm. is for those who are falling through the cracks. It is for the poor, the meek, those who are struggling. But it's also for those kids who also like the Ron Burtons. They say, I, I know I can do something with my life. Mm -hmm. And all I need is some guidance. Mm -hmm. All I need is that coach to say, Ron, you seem to have something that the kids don't have. Let me give you some secrets, some keys to success. So it's about exposure. It's about opportunity. It's about teaching kids how to love one another, respect one another. And it's about giving them the tools they need. So when Magma Design Group comes out, yeah, let's show some respect. Let's show some appreciation. Let's shake their hands. And we practice those things. Literally, Okay. at RBTV, we go through it. We rehearse it because... You got to, if it's not second nature, you don't know. And if you're not exposed to something like that, you don't know. My father didn't know what a really a beautiful garden was until he was exposed. Right. Mm. He didn't understand it. He didn't understand classical music until he was exposed to it. And it really hit him in a very special way. And I think it hit him in a special way because of what he didn't have. And um, that was transformative to him. He would be so blown away. He'd be in tears every day by you guys and what you guys have done at the village. Like he didn't have the funds. He didn't have, he had the vision, but he was scraping just to make it all work. So he had, he laid it out, but I think he passed in 2003. He laid it out, but to see it all come to fruition is very, very humbling. It's like, wow, dad, you laid this out and I wish you, he's, he's I believe he's seeing it from heaven, but right. he's so, blown away by you guys I, it, 
it's like unbelievable because he always had those visions of having the kids being by the rushing water and sitting there and enjoying it and just thinking about the beauty of things. Yeah, and they're building it too. That's the thing. They're building, building it. it. He ah. would want that because he, he planted a lot of those bushes out there. I'm not kidding. Like he dug the trenches. He dug the holes. And then, uh, <laughs> towards the end, you know, it's so funny. Like the kids would all do most of the work. And then he, at the end, would take a shovel, like dig two holes. <laughs> I did the whole thing now. <laughs> well, I remember you telling me at one point you were out there digging in the frozen ground one winter crying. It was painful. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. You needed so, to struggle, so Paul. You needed what, to struggle. What, what was he like in those moments? <laughs> he was excited. Uh, he just loved, he loved creating. And he, he, it didn't, he had a different mindset. And I think it took us a while to even begin to understand his mindset. So he was loving it. He didn't mind one bit. He just wanted to create another garden, another garden, another garden. Uh, the kids are going to enjoy this. Oh, don't you see it? You know? <laughs> Um, why do you think the kids enjoy it? Like, why are they gravitating to these outdoor spaces that are being creative? A lot of them come from the inner city and they don't see the, that beauty. They don't have the opportunity to walk in a garden, experience a garden, see the roses, see the design and to walk in that and to sit in that and to pray in that and to laugh in that and to eat ice cream in that. Mm. That's, that's, those are childhood experiences that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. And to be in a peaceful place and to be able to experience that, that it's, it's freeing. It's, um, it gives them a chance to reflect. Um, there's a sense of, man, of uh, just exhaling and also a sense of let's get ready. Let's use this time wisely. And yeah. it, to be honest with you, yeah, some of them are so broken and so hurting that they don't see it at first. Mm. And it takes them set. So our kids at RBTV, they come for seven straight years whether you're in the STEM journey, which now, right now we focus on young women, or the purpose journey, which is what you guys are very familiar with, they come for seven straight years and some of them really don't understand it because they're so hurting. All they know is hurt, pain, and they don't they don't get a really good chance to see the lake or the beauty of the trees. And, and so it, it takes about five years to really, oh man, oh. now I see it. You know, Now I get why we have quiet time there. Now I see why this, this is so important. Yeah, some of those images that I've seen of quiet time of the kids sitting in the gardens, those are really powerful to me and just mm -hmm. super rewarding. Um, and a lot of the guys that I've worked with, their seven years is up. They're um, yeah. 21, 20 years old in college, you know, probably the best time of their life. And they're coming back on the weekends to dig holes with me in 90 degree <laughs> summer it heat. And it's like, man, where did you guys come from? Like... <laughs> There's I love you guys. You guys are the amazing. There's yeah. a great sense of appreciation in our young in our young people. Yeah, it's like a sense they, of duty almost, huh? They enjoy coming out. I mean, yeah. they, they it's a big part of their childhood. So if they can have a way of sort of their way of giving back, they 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 really look. One of my mom's biggest thing is learn to appreciate things, and so we really have emphasized that. And I think these kids are really understanding that because a lot of these kids have full rides to college. Um, and they're, again, it's like my dad, they go from where they are, which is very humbling to an opportunity to attend a four-year college basically for free. Mm. And it, it just takes them to the next level and the next level and the next. And um, so, yeah, they, they enjoy that because that was where it began. <laughs> so we're hitting each other right now because Neil wants to say something and I want to say something and I've been wanting we're to say fighting. something. <laughs> we're fighting under the desk, Paul. Paul Paul's oh, seen this before. He knows. He well, knows the video. Well, because I, I, I just, I really... Just wanted to hone in on this point um, that we've talked about and that Neil and I talk about, but 
in our personal belief in the power of outdoor spaces to heal and to bring people to a place of peace um, and connection with the world around them. And to me, that's always been the most powerful thing because that's what I know and can really relate to. So for me, that's been one of the most um, powerful things about what you do. And, and it's just interesting to hear you say, I never thought about the fact that it could take the kids up to five years to finally get that. I mean, I kind of assumed, wow, you know, you walk in and you appreciate this, but it makes a lot of sense that 11 years old or <laughs> 12 years old and with all the information that you've got going on in your head, you might not actually notice that until you do. Mm. And then that's got to be amazing. A lasting impact once you realize it, right? Let me tell you a quick story to show you how you can how you can sort of grasp this. So when my dad was alive, he was the one kid at RBTV. He was a nightmare, a disaster. Everywhere he'd go, every day he'd be talking to this kid. Um, and he was just a troubled child. All he knew in his entire life was anger, disappointment, and abuse. So he came to RBTV fighting every day. Every day my father would sit down and talk to this kid and say, you cannot continually destroy this place. Um, and it, 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 the very next day, he got in trouble again. And um, my father sat him aside again, and he said, you can't continue to, to destroy this place. I love you, big guy. He always said, I love you, big guy, but I can't allow you to do this. He goes, I'll do anything for you, he, he would say to this child. And the kid goes, I know, Mr. Burton. I'm just trying to figure out your angle because all I know mm. is hurt and pain. And so I don't even understand where you're coming from. And so, like, when a kid doesn't understand it because it's foreign to them. Like, they don't even, it, it doesn't, they don't come from this place. So, it's so starkly different from what they're used to. It's almost a culture shock. So, it takes a while yeah. to even understand what that means because all that person all knew was hurt. So, to come into a place that's completely opposite of that, he's like, Mr. Burton, I'm still trying to figure out your agenda. Right. <laughs> My dad's just like, all I want to do is serve and help you. And the kids just like, yeah, I'm, I don't buy it, you know. So it took him a while to understand it, and that opened my father's eyes up. I remember talking to him. I go, "What's what did you learn the most?" He goes, "I learned that I got to be more patient and more understanding with these kids. There is another side to this. There is another way, and um, and and, and it's not up to us to decide when that child gets there. It's our job to be the vessel. It's our job to plant the seed." is our job to to sort of serve these kids in such a way that they understand that God has a purpose for their lives. Well, that's interesting that you say that because even with everything that your dad had gone through and all of his struggles as a child, as a young man, he at least still had that community through the church. So he still had a sense of good in the world. And it sounds like this kid maybe didn't have any of that. And so it's just interesting, you know, I think of your dad as this absolute saint to begin with, but for him to recognize like, oh no, I still have to have patience. I still have to understand where oh, yeah. these people are coming yeah, through, from, you know. It was dying day. I remember interviewing him his last year. He was, he was alive. They go, what do you want me to know? He goes, Paul, you got to be more patient and you got to <laughs> be very understanding and never judge because mm. you know what another person's gone through you don't know the shoes that they have to walk in and just when you think you've been patient enough you got to add more to that because there's so much hurt there's so much disappointment there's so much anger in this world and we see it every single day you don't know what a person's gone through so and i teach the kids at rbtv you know we talk about the virtue of peace it's one of the fruits of the spirit found in galatians chapter 5 love peace actually the second one love peace 
patience, humility, self-control. And I tell the kids, this peace is not necessarily sitting in the, the gardens of RBTV. True peace is when you're up, when the situation around you is not peaceful, but you, yet you can display that peace of God that passes understanding because then you can be a, a light in a very dark situation. It's easy to be peaceful when everything's peaceful around you, but it's a whole other way of living to be peaceful when everything is falling apart. It's like my, one of the chapters that my great, my grandmother shared with my dad was, you got to learn to love your enemies. Love those who don't love you back. It's a whole other way of living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, very, it's a freeing way. It doesn't make it easy. Right. Dr. King literally lived that. Mm. You know, love your enemies. And it's not easy, but that's what we're trying to teach these kids. It seems to me... Um, this year is that much more challenging. Um, I talked the other day, a lot of the kids have been cooped up inside with COVID. Um, and now they're dealing with the news cycle and everything that happened with George Floyd. And um, it was an emotional conversation. And uh, I've, I've had some emotional conversations um, with my friends. And one in particular, he's, um, <clears throat> he's originally from Jamaica. He moved here with his family. Um, and they grew up in the Bronx, and um, he had his own unique set of challenges just moving to this country from from the Caribbean and, um, you know, growing up in the Bronx in a time that was, you know, in the, in the 90s, it was, it was a challenge. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I spoke with him, you know, soon after what happened in, in um, Minneapolis, mostly via text, and um, I really sensed something in him that I've never experienced before. I mean, he was, he was angry, you know, um, yeah. to the point where he was like, you know, this time, this is different. Like, I've had enough, I'm done. And um, I, was, I was really scared for him in that moment, not really knowing what to say, um, knowing that I can't relate to a degree, obviously, with, with his, his feelings. And um, we spoke the other day on the phone, and um, we, we have, a, like, a real special bond We've known each other for a long time. It's an amazing friendship. And um, he's gotten to the point where he's able to somewhat put it in perspective. And, you know, the anger's there. It's subsided, but he's gone into the mode now of, okay, what can we do? Yeah. All right. How do we make this better? Um, yeah. And we're having this conversation. And, A, I was relieved because that's the man I know. That's my brother that I've known for years. But, at this, you know, I was thinking about the kids at the village and, um, you know, my friend's in his 40s. He has the tools to be able to process this. Um, and we go back to adolescence and just the perpetual pounding of what's going on in the media with everything that's negative. And there's a lot that's negative. So it, it's just it seems to me like this is going to be a especially challenging year for you. And I, I just wonder what you and your, your family are talking about to, to, to help mentor these kids through this. So we're praying for one. We're praying as a family. Kind of, Lord, give us wisdom. Uh, give us guidance. Uh, be with these families. Be with these children who are, some of them, parents have lost jobs. Mm, yeah. There's, there's that burden. There's a burden of uh, the anger factor. Um, and... One, we, we plan to have a, a, a campus-wide virtual com um, video conference to talk about, let the kids voice their concerns, voice their thoughts, and give some answers to some of their questions. We're going to do that next week, I think, uh, just to hear hear what they're going through, you know. Um, and then we say, okay, 
we're going to listen to how they're how they're dealing with it and then we go back to the basics i call it mm-hmm. back to love peace patience and humility that is eternal it's truth it does not change and love conquers all hate and the only way to really my father says if you really want to be free in the in a, in a perspective like a dr king type of free learn to love learn to forgive and also, you know, I think the, the peaceful protests are beautiful. I think they're very important. Um, and, and they have, it has its place. Uh, and I think we can need to continue to do those things. But ultimately, um, to really reach out to the Lord for strength and wisdom and guidance and help these kids. And I mean, we, we talk these things for years. For some of these kids, I've been there for seven years. There's gonna, I always tell them there's going to come a time. When the, when the floor is going to fall out and your situation is no longer peaceful. And this is the scripture. This is the mm. passage you're going to need to, to reflect on and, and, and ask yourself the question, how can I be a light in darkness? Right? Uh, darkness cannot cast out darkness. Only light can do that. Mm. And to be able to love those, um, it's not easy, um, but it can be done. And that is how you get there. I think of... Um, you know, we always come, RBTV says a faith-based organization. So Christ was crucified. He was beaten. He was horribly uh, crucified on the cross. And yet he did not fight back. He loved those no matter what. And he died for the sins of the world. And so we tell them that. We tell them, look, you're going to go through hardship. You're going to go through pain. But if you're able to respond in love, if you're able to respond in patience, if you're able to respond in peace, you will change the world. And you will find your place and your purpose. And this, there's a lot of freedom in that. So I, I think one of the things that we've been most struck about, too, at RBTV is that, you know, the, the kids that are there, I mean, they're all they're from all backgrounds, you know, yep. you know, white, black, um, Asian American. Yep. And so Neil and I have been talking a lot about lately. Obviously, it's like, well, what can you do? <laughs> what can we do? And I think that we both just have this sense that if we were able to be with people who we may, air quotes, perceive as being different or just coming from different places than us, um, you know, so much of this wouldn't exist. And I just think one of the beautiful things about the camp is that these kids are coming together. They're working for a common goal and I would assume that, you know, at least they're going to have a very, a much more healthy perspective, I think, on this stuff because they understand that they're not going to generalize anymore, you know, because they're hope they won't. hopefully, hope they won't. <laughs> hopefully um, as they mature. My dad's vision was to take every type of kid in America. He didn't want it to be all black. Right. He didn't want it to be all poor. He wanted to take every type of person, kid in America, and teach them how to love one another, bring everybody under one flag, and let's learn how to live and understand one another, um, the shoes that they walk in. I think it was a very important part of his vision because you can't just be one type of person, one type of um, socioeconomic status, one right. type of race. Mm-hmm. you got to bring everybody together mm-hmm. so they can learn to, to live and understand and respect one another where they come from. Right. Well, yeah. I, had ri- I had taken a quote from the website. I think one of the most powerful things that – I've read on the on on your website and just knowing you know what you're all about is um, the camp's philosophy is to inspire the consideration of others <clears throat> before yourself. So the consideration of others before yourself. If everybody hmm. could just do a little bit of that, as simple as 
holding the door for the person behind you. You know, just taking a quick peek, see if there's anyone behind you, because then that triggers that person to say, oh, I should make sure no one's behind me. I mean, those little acts of just putting other people ahead of you, that's, that's, life-changing that's world-changing yeah and I, I i think about i've been thinking a lot about the uh the conversations you have while you're there building so you know let's let's say we're all like we've done we, we dig in a hole for a water feature i'm digging a hole there with all these kids your politics don't matter what you look like doesn't matter in that moment where you came from doesn't matter we all have a common goal we're digging a hole we're talking we're communicating so these are all these little experiences that we're having in that moment that i like to think over the course of our life, you know, we all may go our separate ways, but those little experiences compound and they build off one another and they lead to more experiences where there's all those pillars that you talk about in that moment and those conversations, that dialogue, that common goal, it's, it's really powerful. It's really powerful. Because you learn, you learn about other people and their culture and what they've gone through and you become less judgmental yes. and it kind of lets your guard down to say, you know what? this kid from Boston is a pretty good kid. A lot more in common than we may think, or we may not have a lot in common, but you know what? I need to understand, or I need to be thankful for what I do have, because I realized mm -hmm. that over here does not have that. And mm -hmm. I need to be thankful to, and thank my parents more, and be more appreciative more. And um, yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting way he, philosophy he had his approach, God first, other second, we third. Mm. You see that in the kids. You see that in the kids. I've seen it. It's It's... It's awesome. It's, it's powerful. So I think one of our last questions, um, so you can get back to work, <laughs> is, <laughs> and I don't know, it's such a simple question, but I, and I, don't, I don't even know if it's a stupid question, but, you know, do you see any good coming out of what happened in Minneapolis? Well, I think it remains to be seen. I think we got to see policy change. we got to see the systematic racism change. I think this is the beginning stages. I think the, the peaceful protests are, are it's happening now almost every day. So that's good. And there's less of the craziness of the, riot, the looting and stuff like that. I think that's ho hopefully uh, fading away. But you're seeing all types of people um, in these protests um, coming together in every town, village, city, uh, all throughout the nation, even globally. So that's yeah. good. And I think the fact that they're doing it peacefully is awesome. And I think you're seeing it on the business level, CEOs, sports team, like everyone is saying, we need to change. Is this our quote unquote Rosa Parks moment? Mm. It does it, does it feel different because part of what's deflating about it is it seems to be happening with regular consistency. And um, I mean, our moment growing up, we're in that same age bracket where it was, you know, it was Rodney King. I think it remains to be seen. Mm. I think we got to see the, if it, if his death, if we can do anything from his death, so it's not in vain is to see policy change, to see the system change, mm. to see education change, to see the criminal system change. Things need to change to make this not be in vain because so many of these other deaths have been in vain. And do you yeah. think, too, that for, for people who feel like it's too big of a problem for them to solve, mm. you know, we've been thinking about it's the protests are great and needed, but we also need to figure out a way to take action in our own lives. And I think... You know, that's what Neil and I have been struggling with for a long time is, you know, what kind of mark can we leave in this world? Yeah. And so, you know, 
you coming into our lives was just, you know, the clouds parted and it was like, yes. <laughs> but I, I do have this feeling like no matter what you do, no matter what your skill set is, we all have a way to contribute. So if you can take your passion and your talent and your skills and apply them to something in your community, yeah, you know, anything you can do in your community is a win-win situation. And that's a start no matter what it is. Because yeah, I, I think you can get, you can, we can all get kind of bogged down when we're, we're trying to affect change at the national level. It's right. so lethargic. It can be really, I mean, it could just kind of simply burn you out and make you lose hope at times yeah. where, I mean, finding a place like yours where we can literally go in. It, it's very unique, Paul, where there's no red tape, right? It's people come together we're like, hey, we want to build this garden. Let's design this and let's build this. This year is like almost in four unheard weeks. of. <laughs> and then you get to see. Four weeks to plan. I mean, it's not only get to see the people using it, it's the kids <laughs> building it. So it is very unique. It's funny how it all came together. Yeah, it's just every little, everyone has gifts and talents. And what you do with that gift and talent does matter. Your purpose matters. And you may think you're making a small little ripple, but that ripple goes can go a very long way. You know, I think about some of the kids that have become a Navy SEAL mm. or an orthopedic surgeon just from being at the village. You know, it's like, wow. And that can in turn affect change, but everyone has to play that role. You know, if that kid does not have that quiet time in that garden, does he really take time out to think about what he can become? Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Everything matters. And I think what made, made that so special is that he knew that. So he knew the seven miles is very important, but the quiet time is more important. Mm. Education is important. The appreciation. There's so much to this village that it's, it's like it's hard. To, just like there was so much to my father's life, it's hard to unravel it all. So it takes a lifetime. It's a journey. So what's in store? What's next, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I know it never ends. It never ends. You know, we're, we're just going to um, go virtual a little bit this summer. We're still going to um, be doing some garden work out there. But, you know, hopefully this pandemic will pass. The kids are dying to come back. Give them even a deeper hunger and appreciation when they do come back. Uh, so we'll continue to work forward. We continue to enhance the gardens. And they will be there from these kids when they return. Nice. Excellent. Awesome, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for everything that you do, for yeah. letting us no, be a small part of it. and. It's, it's a much, it's a big part. So we, we cherish you guys and um, there's more work to be done. Yeah. Yes. We'll, we'll, Always. We'll get it done. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. God bless. I'll follow up with you guys uh, soon. Okay. okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Love you guys. Love you. you. Bye. Love you, brother. Bye. We lost Paul there for um, a few minutes. Um, we got him back, but um, he is a journalist and he got called to report on a story. So he had to run. Um, you haven't heard the last of him with us. Um, I think this, um, this is a podcast that can be picked up later, hopefully on the, the Home Depot day that we talked about earlier um, on some level. So um, we just thought um, it was really important to bring, you know, something positive with everything that's going on right now. Yeah, um, I know that was really important yeah. to me is that, you know, it's so much negativity in the world and I just want to show it's not all negative by any stretch. There's yeah. actually really good things happening with really good people. So, you know, yep. don't don't give up hope. There are things that we all can do, and um, a lot of people are doing good things. So Yeah, a lot of people. And, um, you know, it's a confusing time, too. Um, 
certainly. And I think what we found is action, just taking action, doing what we can do has been, um, life changing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and something I've learned is not do what I can do and, and, you know, don't beat myself up over not being able to do what I think is enough. But I think just, just putting the wheels in motion like we have with them and building and being around the kids and being around them is, is honestly been the best thing we've done since we started our company. And um, we're just really appreciative for Paul and his family, beautiful people doing beautiful things. Now, what we'd really love to do is to get more of the green industry involved in what's going on at the Ron Burton Training Village. So what we're thinking about is trying to get some of you guys out there involved in the garden works that we've been doing. So whether or not that's in the form of uh, actually helping build the gardens or maybe doing some workshops, we're kind of trying to come up with different ideas and different scenarios of what might work there um, for the village as well as for everybody in the green industry. Kind of just, you know, how can we all come together to really make these spaces come alive for these kids? So if you're interested in being a part of that, just DM us and we'll let you know what we're doing this year um, and also what our plans are for the future. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please be sure to follow us at Landscapes and Pancakes underscore podcast on Instagram. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment where you listen to this podcast. And as always, check out our work and progress on magmadesigngroup.com and magmadesigngroup on Instagram.